morning, church. Man, worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Wow, what a blessing to be here today. Uh, thank you, uh, Tommy, for uh, that great communion thought about rhythm. Uh, I wasn't here, by the way, to congratulate you earlier this summer on Ole Miss winning the baseball national championship. They were coached by an LSU player, just so, you know, just throwing that out there. Uh, makes everything better, right? Uh, we have a, a good time here with our SEC sports. We love it. And, and when you talked about rhythm, it reminded me of a sermon I preached years ago. And Inman can relate to this, but sometimes you don't always remember the content of a sermon, but you remember an illustration, right? And so I illustrated about, it, the sermon was about dancing. Uh, and I'm not quite sure the text now, but I remember me illustrating that I can't dance because I have no rhythm, and I grew up in the Church of Christ, right? Don't dance. You can always tell the ones who came in from the bars later when they were converted in because they can dance, right? So I couldn't dance, and so I said, I only have two dances, and one of them is the Frankenstein, which you've seen this before, right? That's the lumber around like this, right? It's slow dancing, the Frankenstein. And then the other one was the Dracula. These are the, I call them the monster dances because that was the fast dance like this. Mm, 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 mm. Got those teeth, right? And so I mentioned that that was really all I had and, uh, into this sermon. And, and Willie Bell Henry, who used to sit right over here, she came up to me afterwards. And she said, boy... Don't tell us you can't dance. I know you can get down. I said, Willie Bell, I really can't dance. I mean, I I was being 100% honest. Literally, that's all I got. But that's just a free illustration. Trent gave you some last week. Hadn't thought about that. Thank you, Tommy, for bringing that to the forefront. And reminding me of a great sister uh, that I miss seeing on a regular basis. Uh, today, uh, is our sermon is called The Boast with the Most, and it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And wasn't it great having Trent here last week? Oh, what a blessing. Yeah, we can applaud. He may be watching. I don't know. I miss that brother, uh, and I miss uh, his, his lessons and his family. Uh, and who knew Trent went off to Colorado and got funny, Right? He was generally funny. No cringeworthy puns, you know. Uh, and I, I had dinner with him this week, and I was like, Trent, what happened? You know, you know how Trent, he says, I know. <laughs> like he was as surprised as we were, right? Great lesson last week. And, and I loved the way he ended it uh, with not only his appreciation for us and WFR, but also what Paul was trying to relay in the text uh, which is the idea that he loved this church in Corinth so much that he was willing to give anything and everything for them. And he wanted to challenge them. That's the way you should give. Uh, even with problems, you give from the heart, right? Because that's who God is. And so I love that. And, uh, and that gets us to where we are today, which is talking about boasting. Now, it's really interesting because most of us, right, are against boasting. I mean, just generally. We don't like boasting, Right. I think it was the great theologian, Ron Burgundy, that said, um, I'm kind of a big deal, right? And we don't like people that tell us they're a big deal. One of my favorite lines from a movie, it was back in the 80s, it was called Broadcast News. And William Hurt and Albert Brooks were in the movie. 
in the William Hurt character, you know, he's like, he's good looking. He was good on camera. And so it was just, but he didn't have any talent, you know, or true ability as a journalist. He just kind of had the right look. And then Albert Brooks didn't look very good and wasn't very good on camera, but he was brilliant. And so that was kind of the setup. And so the William Hurt character says, what do you do? He's just musing. What do you do when your real life exceeds your dreams? Which sounds great, right? And also very boastful. And the Albert Brooks character immediately says, keep it to yourself, (laughs) right? (laughs) And that's how we generally feel about boasting. And I loved uh, the sarcasm that he used there. There's even a verse, Jeremiah 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom. Let not the strong boast of their strength. Or the rich boast of their riches. So we're against boasting, right? I mean, generally, we're saying that's right. But there's an exception. In Jeremiah 9, verse 24. There's that word that I love in the Bible, conjunction, junction, what's your function? But let the one who boasts, boast about this. So we got an exemption. We can boast that they had the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in those I delight, declares the Lord. So we can boast. But only if we give God all the credit. And we talk about how great he is, right? What he's doing in our lives. Well, that's going to get us to this text today in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you'd like to turn there. And we're kind of going to flip this upside down as we begin this morning. I want to read the end of it first, at the end of this section in chapter 10, because that's where it kind of coalesces into what he's trying to say. And then we're going to go back and describe why he said what he said. So look down at verse 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits. So he starts out, he's going to talk about boasting, but he says, but we're not going to go too far. But we'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service, okay, that God himself has assigned to us. So again, he's putting it in that godly context. I don't want to boast too much, but if we got to, we're going to talk about what God's done. A sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting. That's twice he said that. As would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did not get as far with you the gospel of Christ. So once again, he says, I don't have to go too far. But if we are going to boast, we're going to talk about getting the gospel to you. Verse 15, neither do we go beyond our limits. That's number three. Boasting of the work done by others, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand. So we're, we don't want to go beyond the limits, but if we're forced to boast, let's talk about what God has done in you. Look at verse 16. So that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. So once again. We've got to stay focused, right? For we do not want to boast about work already done. Is anybody counting how many is that? Four times. We don't really want to be doing this. Verse 17. But 
Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's that Jeremiah quote. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. So when it comes down to recommendation, we want God's recommendation, right? Not necessarily our own. So what he's done now in this text is he's clearly drawn a line of those who have been commending themselves versus those whom the Lord has commended to service in the sphere of activity, as he put it. Now, this is a big deal because all this stuff about love and gratitude that we got up to the ninth chapter, he's fixing to turn the discussion in this letter. And he's a little bit more sarcastic in this section than the next section next week, which our good friend Larry Bowles will be back. He's going to really get into the problem that's going on in Corinth. But it's, it's a problem that's causing major strife and difficulty for Paul and his team in this church. He reminded me this week as I was sort of, you know, as I do with any text, you're wrestling, you're struggling. Okay, Holy Spirit, what do you, what do you want me to say? And just like Paul and Trent last week, it made me reflect back on my many, many years here at this church. Our church is now 64 years and and going. So we've been around a long time, right? And there aren't many people who were here at the beginning of that. If you were here, you're getting old now, just if you didn't know that, right? And you were probably really young when it started. This church was 17 years young when I came on the scene at 10 years old, 47 years ago. So I know a lot of things because I've seen a lot of things over the course of many, many years at our church. And like any church, it hasn't always been great. We went through difficult times. We had times where the focus wasn't where it needed to be. Just like this church, and he mentioned, we keep trying to bring you back to the sphere of the gospel because if we can stay there and if we can move forward, we'll stay unified. We've struggled with that. We've had times of division and difficulty. But you know what? Praise God. 64 years later, we're still here. We're still sharing with people. We still got people looking in from all around the world saying, you know what? Forever family. Welcome home. I want to be a part of that. We got people's lives that are being changed here every single day in our community because of what God is doing through a church. Amen. I think that deserves a little round of applause for the Almighty. Again, I'm not boasting. I'm only pointing out what God does. And this is what happens in this context. Paul loves this church just like I love this church. I've given my life. To you guys and to many who are not here anymore, who have gone on and are waiting for that great day of the resurrection, right? People who mentored and poured into me. And so Paul is very hurt by a certain group of people that have risen up in this church in Corinth. And Larry will talk much more about him next week in chapter 11. They consider themselves to be better than Paul. And also are so petty, which we're going to get into today with Paul. They don't like the way he looked. They don't like the way he talked. They don't like the way he carried himself. And they were constantly trying to demean his work. So let's look at 
verse 1 of chapter 10, and let's describe what Paul was facing. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. So that's a pretty straightforward, you know, I want to be like Jesus as I'm dealing with what I'm about to deal with. Then he says something that I find fascinating and, and quite, I, I love this quite much. I, Paul, who am timid, in quotes in the NIV, when face to face, but bold, in quotes, toward you went away. Now, I'm sorry, folks, that's just straight sarcasm. That's what that is. And I love it. You know why I love it? Because I'm very sarcastic. I was in a house church one time and there was a brother. He was just being totally transparent and honest. He said, I know a lot of you guys like seem to have the way you talk to one another. I don't get sarcasm at all. And so if, if I'm offending you because I'm not reacting, it's because I don't understand the joke. And so I, I loved his honesty, and I thought, man, that's great. And a house church said, and he said, then the second thing is, how am I ever going to talk to this guy? How are we going to communicate? Because once you take sarcasm out from me, that's why I love Jerry Seinfeld and sarcastic comedians. Paul is addressing a problem right off the bat, and he makes it about himself, which is what great sarcastic comedians do. He says, you know, I'm so timid. When I'm with you and so bold when I'm away. Now, does he really see himself that way? No. He sees himself as the same guy. But like me as a preacher, I can totally get it because I'm up here. The lights are on. The cameras are rolling. I'm looking at this thing and I'm giving you the shotgun approach of what could happen this week by the power of the Holy Spirit to make your life better. But if we're sitting in my office or at a restaurant, you know. And we're just talking about some problem that's going on in your life or mine. It's a little bit different approach. And so that's all Paul is saying. But he starts out by addressing this problem, but he does it with sarcasm. He says in verse 2, I beg you that when I come and I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people. He's going to mention some people a lot who think that we live by the standards of the world. So he's now going to level this first accusation against him that Paul and his team do not live by the standards of God and they do not deal with all the problems by the standards of God, but by the standards of the world. And so his first boast is about a higher godly standard. Look at verse 3. And this is a doozy of a text. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then catch this line. Whew. This is worth underlining if you underline your Bible. And we take captive Every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Let me read that again. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's a mouthful. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience 
is complete. So that's a lot of stuff to deal with this first boast, that we really are doing things the way God has assigned us to do them. So what would it look like to fight as the world fights and not by the standards that God has set forth? Well, I would, if you want to know what that looks like, I'll give you three options. You can watch a congressional hearing, if you can stomach that. Um, you can watch one hour of cable news, pick a channel, or you can follow a, a Twitter thread by someone who makes a point, a political point. If you want to see how the world fights and the standards of the world, any of those three will suffice in our culture. What you'll see is pettiness. You'll see personal demonization. In other words, if I really can't debate you on the merits of whatever we're talking about, I can sure take you down a notch or two. You'll see exception-led logic. What is that? That means that something that seems like a good idea for everybody, if I can find one exception that might not be great for this one person, we can't do it. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I know. You'll see disunity. And you'll see destructive behavior. Now, is that fair to say that that's fighting as the world fights? You see, that's where the evil one comes in. That's how he wins what he's doing. He's the one behind that, by the way. He loves strife, chaos, conflict. Jesus will put it this way in John 10, verse 10. A thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the way of the world. That's how you win. You steal, you kill, or you destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, a new standard, a more and better life than you could ever dream of. That's the difference between the two standards. The results in fighting as the world fights is just like what happens in a real war. There's entrenchment. There's no advance. There's no progress. There's just lobbing bombs on one another to kill, to steal, and to destroy. It's happening in the world this morning as we sit here in peace. That's the way the world fights. Without anything larger to ascend to, to rise to, to unify together. That's the standards of the world. So look at what Paul does to contrast that. He says, here's what godly battle looks like. First of all, you have power that comes from God himself. He is sovereign. There is no one greater to swear by. He is the greatest. His sovereignty is overall. And that power is made available for you. His words, his knowledge, are truth. So not only is he sovereign, but everything he speaks is truth. Hebrews 6 says it's impossible for God to lie. Why? Because he's sovereign and his word is truth. Therefore, once we understand that, it changes everything. It allows us to have the mindset of Christ. And what is that? That every thought can be taken captive and submitted to Christ. Think about that. How does a 
18-year-old kid go into a school and shoot a bunch of children that are there to go to school. Somewhere along the way, a person like that lost the ability to take thoughts captive. Therefore, they become captive to their thoughts. That's what evil does. You know how a kid could do that? Because he thought about it a long time. And the more he did, the more evil reigned in his life. Our culture makes the battle about everything but that. But that's what it is, right? The more you sink into darkness in your thinking, the more evil will have the ability to control your life. And it will. And sin destroys completely. It steals every good thing you could have. It kills and it destroys. Therefore, we don't fight that way. We fight to take every thought. You begin thinking something, it's not right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to go there. Lord, please take this and renew in me something better. And every day we have those renewals, right? It allows us, for the last verse he says there, in verse 6, to then be able to take correction from godly leadership, which is going to lead to the next post. In other words, these people are undermining Paul's authority as an apostle of Christ to be able to correct what he knew in his own spirit, as well as the Holy Spirit, as well as the Word of God, was wrong. Undermine it. Don't listen to it. You can't trust those people. They're not looking out for you, but we are. And then the division came in. Therefore, it takes us to his second boast. Not just about a higher, higher godly standard, but also about godly authority. Look at verse 7. You are judging by appearances. He's talking to the church there. You're judging by appearances on how I look because of what these people are saying. Are you that shallow? People are. I mean, are you that surface? Yeah. Just take a look at Instagram. Shallow. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. We're all in the same boat. We've all been saved by the grace of God. The same blood covered all of us. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us, there's the boast, for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some people say... His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. Personal attacks. Eh. That's how shallow this is. Social media, anyone? Such people, some people, should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We're the same. God has called us to this. 
And if you've ever been under personal attack, whether it's social media, someone at work, whatever, you've got to understand, you are God's vessel. And whether someone likes you or dislikes you, you are still God's vessel. And that's his point. You see, authority is only effective when people submit to it. If you don't trust it, then you're not going to submit to it. That's part of the problem we're having today in our government. I thought of today when I was driving in. You know, West Monroe PD is trying to get people to slow down the neighborhood around where we meet here. So they could have a police officer there and give tickets out. They've done that before. Some of you good, righteous brothers have been paying that $250 to the city of West Monroe. Or they could just put up a thing and tell you how fast you're going. I was watching it today. As soon as the thing flashed, everybody started slowing down. Why? Because you realize, I don't want to drive fast through a neighborhood with kids in it. They're not doing it for anything but good. Authority only counts, is only effective when you submit to it. So there's two different ways to have submission. We can do it by force and by fear. And that's what authoritarians do. Or we can do it by submission and trust. And we can have confidence that we're doing the right thing. That's exactly what was going on here. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go and be afraid? No. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them what I taught you. Disciple them. We submit to Christ because we trust him. He's that kind of leader. Look at some of the characteristics that Paul uses. It's not shallow, but it looks deeper than the exterior. It looks deep. Look, even people of God can can miss it. We can look for the shallow. You remember in in, uh, 2 Samuel 16, whenever uh, God sent Samuel the prophet to anoint David, and he didn't know who he was going to know. He said, I got the king of Israel, the real one coming. Now, this had just been a disaster with Saul. And the only reason Saul became king is because he was taller than everybody else, and he looked good. But he was terrible. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, which is where God sent him, and he says, all right, God sent me here. Where's your, you got any sons around here? Oh, I got sons. And he brings the first one out. And man, did he look good. He was strong and strapping and tall and good looking. And Samuel said, aha, here's our guy. And God gave him a little word. He said, no, you're only looking at what you've been looking at. God doesn't look at the exterior. He looks at the heart. And so he kept looking. Next son, next son, next son, next son. Nope, nope, nope. You got any more sons? Well, there's the runt out watching the sheep. Bring him up here. Let's take a look. God said, there's my man, young David, who would, in the next chapter, go and kill a giant when everybody else was quaking in their boots. Why? Because he understood the authority of God. And when he did battle, he didn't do it like everybody else saying, well, I don't know what we're going to do. Let's get some armor on. He said, you know what? This battle belongs to the Lord. All I need is a rock. And this guy goes down. That's what changes when we submit to the authority of God. We look at something deeper. It's not exclusive, but it's inclusive. God doesn't want anyone to perish. It's not destructive. But constructive. He said, we want to build you up, not tear you down. 
the church should not be about tearing things down. It should be about building things up. Right? Not ashamed, but confident. We, the unashamed. Why? Because of the gospel. Not frightening, but enlightening. I mean, we got a lot of guys, and God bless them, they're out there preaching right now, and they're trying to scare literally the hell out of people. I would much prefer to enlighten them on the heaven that lives in us and who God is. Not fake, but transparent and consistent. Would you follow a leader like that to the ends of the earth? We do. That's Jesus. That's the kind of leader he is. And all authority has been given to him. The last boast, not only standards, not only authority, is going to be about the recommendation. He says in verse 12, and I'm going to cap these, in verse 12 of chapter 10, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some people who commend themselves. And I love this one. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Only looking inward. This quote reminded me of one time out at Camp Joka, Johnny was given the counselors and the staff, you know, a little bit of a charge. And then the kids, he said, now, if you find yourself by yourself, you're probably in the wrong place. It's a great challenge, right, for campers. You don't want to be off somewhere by yourself. That's what Paul says here. If you find yourself only applauding and commending yourself, you're probably not doing the right thing. My dad always taught me growing up, Al, don't talk about how great you are. Let other people tell you whether you're great or not. And I love that because it's right. Yeah, you can clap. Phil deserves a clap. They are not wise. And then in verse 18, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved. And I love that word. It's the same one from 2 Timothy 2.15. He challenges, be a worker who is approved by God. What does that mean? That Greek word means it's like a coin. And you're wondering if it's real or not. What do you do? You bite that thing. Oh, yeah, man, that's real gold. Approved. Which means you can stand the test. But the one whom the Lord commends. So what is all this for us today? What does it mean to us? How do we make this practical? Well, first thing we have to do, first challenge for you and for me, is I have to commit myself to a higher standard. I'm not going to keep myself where the world is. I'm not going to do battle as the world does battle. I'm committed to a higher standard. And that standard is that God lives in me. And his sovereignty is always right. Yeah, but what if you're thinking differently? What if your thoughts are saying, I'm not sure this is right or not? Then I need to commit to the higher standard and find out what God says about the topic. Which is the second challenge. Commit to godly authority. That leads to confidence and not fear. There's a reason God put leaders in our lives to help us. And as Tommy was saying in the community talk this morning, we said, hey, I need to chat with you. Oh, no, what's, what's happened? When I was younger coming up, it was like, hey, Al, when do I tell you? let's go meet for breakfast. Uh-oh. I knew the dreaded mentor breakfast meant that 
I was going to be pruned and shaped and mentored. And you know what? I look back on my life and I appreciate every single one of them because it made me who I am today. If you don't have those people in your life, then you get trapped in your own thoughts. And guess what happens? You become captive. And the evil one can reign in your life. Commit yourself to godly authority. Commit yourself to God's approval. You know what that means? You don't compare yourself to others. Somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit taught me a valuable lesson in my years here at WFR. I think it was around the 10-year mark. I was trying so hard to make everybody so happy and so pleased with Al and his ability to teach and be here and be a minister. Then I realized something. It didn't matter whether I had your commendation. I was working for God. It mattered what he thought about what I was doing. And man, some people were like, you're so great. You're so awesome. Not true. You're so terrible. You're awful. Not true. I was just somewhere in the middle. I was a guy who was called to be here to bring the word of truth. That's our job. And we all have a way we do that. It's not just about who's standing in the box here. It's about every single day. You are an ambassador of Christ. You are called to make a difference, to have that sphere of activity and influence that Paul mentions. Are you up to the challenge? Look at the results. Wisdom, unity, purpose, belonging. I think about Peter's words in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Do you feel like you're royal and priestly? You are. You're a holy nation, even in an unholy one. You're God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Praise the Lord. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are beggars who have found bread. And we want others to know where to find it. Living bread. Living water. Living grace. That's what we're called to today. If you haven't believed, and you haven't submitted, and you've been in that dark captive of bad thoughts, today's your day. Today's your day to submit to God's authority and his higher standard and to him to become a son or daughter of the Almighty. If you've never embraced who Jesus is and why he came, what he did for you, and the resurrection opportunity that he extends to you today, today's your day. You believe with all of your heart. You confess him as Lord. We'll baptize you right in this water behind us. Could be warm, maybe. But boy, it's refreshing to be made new in Christ. Whatever your need is, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?